Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson. I am your host. And today we are answering a big question for a lot of parents. How do I parent with purpose? And I've been very vocal on a lot of past episodes that I do not have kids. So fortunately, I'm not gonna be the one answering that question for you today. I have two wonderful guests with me. Uh, actually, our director of the TEC Preschool, Stephanie Pippett, and our assistant director of our TEC Preschool, Cindy Pertwee. So thanks for being on the show, guys. I'm really happy to have you as our resident experts. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know that we're experts, but we are here. Yeah. So of course, (laughs) of course, your focus very much is preschool, early childhood education. But it's funny because the more research that I do around like how to communicate with your preschooler, how to nurture and develop, I'm like, well, this applies to adults as well. So (laughs) We were talking about that this morning. Yeah. So of course, your skill set is in preschool. But I think that Parents with kids of any age could learn a lot from the conversation that we're going to have today. And I just want to take a second, give a little plug. Uh, Treach Enrichment Center is our preschool here at Treach. We have an amazing program for kids two years old through pre-K. And I would love to encourage y'all to go to tmumc.org slash TEC to learn a little bit more about our programming. And, uh, on that page, you can find ways to get in, ta- in contact with Stephanie and Cindy. So plug over. But <laughs> we'll talk a lot about TEC during our podcast, too. Oh, good. Okay. So, so it's not completely over. Oh, good. So let's <laughs> learn how to parent from our TEC preschool, shall we? Um, first, I want to get to know more about the two of you. Stephanie, I know you pretty well uh, from the womb because you're my sister. A lot of y'all might not know that. Uh, but what has led you to your roles at TEC? And why is it that you're passionate about this area? So I have wanted to be working with kids since I was in second grade. My second grade teacher was one of those people who just like I wanted to be her. She was fun. She was creative. She taught in such a way that we were excited about what we were learning. And looking back on it, I don't even think I realized I was learning. I thought we were just playing. Um, And so I always wanted to work with kids. And so after college, I was a paraprofessional for a little while. And then I was a teacher in a classroom. And then I stayed at home to be mom for a little bit worked in a licensed daycare, and then worked in children's ministry. So I think all of those coming together um, made led me to this position here as the TEC director. I also am just passionate about this job because my kids went through TEC and I got to see the radical love that our teachers pour into our families and our kids. And I felt that. And so I jumped at the opportunity to be a part of that amazing team. Um, I also grew up here at Treach. I We moved here in 1998 and I went through youth group here and it just feels like home. And I still see people in the halls that I have known for 25 years. And so um, I just feel very blessed to get to work in a place that I love so, so much and that has helped me grow abundantly in my faith. Stephanie, do you remember the name of that second grade teacher? Mrs. Hendrickson. Okay, because (laughs) here's a fun fact. I also remember the name of your second grade teacher because she meant so much to you. And um, I know that one of y'all's values at TEC that y'all have been educating me on is uh, helping kids learn how to love school. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was one of the really big things for you is like growing up, I remember that you loved school. I unfortunately had the opposite feeling. I did not have great early education teachers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, I remember being kind of mean. And so I didn't love school. 
I, and I didn't realize how much I actually did love learning until I went to college. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I missed out on some of that passion that you had for learning and just being in the school environment. And so the right teachers and the right people to nurture you, I know personally makes such a huge difference. And Mm -hmm. I did eventually catch up and I have learned to love school and education, but it didn't happen until I was much older. Right. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Cindy, what's your journey? Oh, I kind of started the same way with having some amazing teachers that kind of helped me along the way and helped me want to, you know, love learning. And then um, going off to college, actually, education wasn't my original degree. I switched halfway through after working with uh, a tutoring program for uh, other students at the school and some kids at the local college, high school and middle school. And so I moved to secondary education because I wanted to teach science. And I did after college for a while. I taught science until I had my own kids and decided to stay home with them. And then on my journey of having my own kids and everything, I went um, one day, my parents were like, hey, we need someone to help out at a preschool. Can you think you could do that? And both my kids were back at school. So I was like, sure. I'll do it. And I fell in love with it. It was amazing to be in the classroom with the kids, getting hugs, them lighting up when they see you, them trying something new and actually getting, um, learning it and getting the idea. It just made me happy to be in that presence of seeing that all the time. And from there, I moved over to Treach and I've been teaching here for seven years in the two-year-old classroom. And Getting that every day. We get paid in hugs. We get to sit in the room and read to them and watch them light up and watch them progress from um, the beginning of the year to the end of the year and seeing how much they have grown. And it's just, I love it. I love being around them all the time. This is like a, the the age group that you work with is like a really special age group where they are still like wide-eyed and open to the world and just like the joy of living of like they are just so excited to be here today you Mm -hmm. know and it's something that like around the age of between like seven and ten you start to lose that sparkle and kind of step into the real world of like oh this is a this is a whole thing you know (laughs) but (laughs) those early years it's just like a whole bunch of cute little squirrels showing up for school ready to do anything and have a fantastic time Mm -hmm. so for the parents that are listening If you had to boil it down to like the most essential tips around development in education, faith, and even physicality, what what would you say are the most important things for parents to pay attention to and nurture? Um, I think that one thing we've been talking about a lot this summer, Cindy and I have, um, and we talked about at our uh, training that we went to earlier in the summer, is that we need to love our kids for the developmental stage that they are in and not try to push them so hard to reach the next milestone, but to just love them for who they are, whether they're struggling with sharing or struggling with potty training or struggling with... um, hitting even, whatever their struggle is, look at their developmental age and see if that's appropriate and guide them in the way that they should go based on the stage that they're in. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big one. And then another one that we've been talking about a lot is taking time to play. That is how kids learn. Um, Children's brains are developed through play, specifically their language, their thinking skills, their problem-solving skills. And so at TEC, We focus a lot on learning through play and teachers playing with the kids and then also letting the kids guide play with their friends. Yeah. Some of the areas where you can do that is when you sit and read a book with the children, they're hearing the verbal skills that you're, what you're saying to the children, they pick up on those sounds and how you're forming your mouth and the language, the uh, vocabulary that you're using. Um, Also, playing on the playground for their physicality, you're, they're practicing climbing a ladder. How do I go down a slide? How do I, I saw a little girl the other day who was walking across the little bridge portion and she's like holding on to everything. And then the second time she did it, she didn't have to hold on to everything. She felt secure in what she's doing. So just one time of doing something. So getting out there and just like we were saying, playing, 
doing activities, reading, playing with cars and watching what happens when you push a car. You know, does it, does it do the same on the carpet? Mm-hmm. Is it different on the tile? We try to get encourage the kids to explore those different things so that they can learn mm-hmm. through those activities. Well, and, and speaking to like developmental phases, that really stands out to me because I think something that a lot of us adults are guilty of and me as an auntie to my niece and nephew, I found myself assigning my adult logic, reasoning and morality to their actions. Mm -hmm. And so if one of the kids starts crying because they're not getting what they want, I'm like, they're trying to guilt me. Like they're trying to manipulate me (laughs) in some way, you know, because I'm a dumb, dumb adult who doesn't realize that, no, that's, that's just a part of of their developmental mm-hmm. phase. And so how can parents, like, do you have any resources or anything for parents to better understand the developmental phase that their child is in so that we're not doing that and, and assigning our own understanding of the world to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or even 15-year-old? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very normal. I think a lot of times we put our adult expectations of one another on our kids. We expect them the second we ask them to do something to do it. Their brain is taking time to process what has been asked and it takes time and we can't expect everything to be done right away or for them to stop what they're doing in the middle because I don't want to stop what I'm doing in the middle of reading a book. If I'm reading a book and somebody asks me to stop, what do we usually say? Let me finish my chapter or let me finish the page. But with kids, we expect them to stop and listen. Or they might not have the language yet to say, hey, can I finish this chapter? Right. They it, it goes straight into, I don't want to. Right. You know. A temper yeah. tantrum. Yeah. 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 So we do um, at TEC, anytime parents come to our facility, um, just to figure out what our school is about, we um, give them a developmental guide. And it's just a list of things that are developmentally appropriate for them to be working on at this age. Um, And you can find um, lists like that online if you Google, but I know that the CDC has a milestone tracker um, that you can find, and they actually have an app as well. Um, It's for zero to five years old. Um, So six and up. You're on your own. You're on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for zero to five years old, there's a CDC milestone tracker that just Mm kind of gives you an idea. And every child grows and learns differently. So don't panic if your child isn't picking up all these developmental skills. But it gives you an idea of where they're at. Mm -hmm. Or where they're headed. Yes. Um, Yeah, because I think that that's a big thing with teenagers, too, because I just did a podcast a a few weeks ago on how do I handle my teenager. Um, And we have to remember that frontal lobe isn't developed Mm -hmm. yet. Like the when you ask, you know, I was having a conversation the other day when you uh, if a teenager does something crazy, like they take the car and go out to the lake and don't tell you and didn't ask permission. Um, And you ask the teenager, what were you thinking? And they say, I don't know. They mean it. Like they're not just coming up with an excuse. They really don't know. They had not thought it out and Mm -hmm. we're not, it was just impulsive in the moment, but that's the developmental stage that they're in. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's helpful for the parents to find those resources and maybe there's somewhere out there that goes beyond five Mm -hmm. years old for us to better understand that. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) But but we're the preschool directors, so we're focused on five and under. I'll come back and talk to you about those teenagers I have at home. Yeah. I know you might be writing down your own developmental <laughs> chart for personal research. Um, so I know that mental health has been a huge conversation that's really developed within the past five to 10 years. It's relatively new. And um, not only us as adults learning how to self-care and how to um, nurture and manage our own mental health and learning how to set boundaries and all of these things. A lot of parents are asking about how do I nurture the mental health of my child, which 
I don't know if this is a question that's ever been asked before by past generations of parents. I don't remember, you know, our parents having that conversation around the development of our mental health. So what do you think that parents can be doing to nurture their mental health? And what are some of the questions that parents are asking you around mental health? One thing I think is parents have to realize them themselves have to make sure their mental health is there. Take time for themselves, get the rest and the food and the hydration that they need so that they can help somebody else with their own. It's mm-hmm. like the put on your own oxygen mask. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the airplane that I was just on a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but taking care of yourself and with everything we do as parents, modeling what we do, our kids see that and they're going to mimic what they see with us. So if we're taking time to take care of ourselves, to saying, mommy needs five minutes to take a breather, can we just lay down and and just listen to some music or something like that, that's modeling to them that you're taking time for yourself to calm down and have a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, for parents themselves, I mean, uh, for their kids, you know, spending time with their kids without extra distractions around, listening to them. Um, the stories that you will hear from three and four and five-year-olds, they are so fun to listen to if you just take the time if to you sit. Have the patience for yeah, it. Patience <laughs> to sit and listen to the story. And they might repeat themselves quite often, but they eventually, when they come around, and then to see their reaction from it, it's just, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the same thing. Taking time for yourself as a parent is not selfish. Um, it's helpful for everyone involved. It's helpful for your mental health, which then helps you be a better parent when you're speaking with your kids. You might have more patience or understanding when you've had that break. Um, and mental health in kids, like Cindy said, spending time together is huge. Having family connections where they feel safe at home and feel that there's someone that they can communicate with and trust and go to with their issues and with their problems. Um, Another thing that I think is important for children with mental, talking about mental health is um, help build their self-esteem and their self-confidence. And a good way to do that is to praise their character traits and be specific. So instead of just saying, hey, good job, You could say, hey, I noticed that you had a lot of perseverance when you were doing your homework. That was really hard and you pushed through and that was great. You're being specific and you're talking about character traits that really are helping to build their character and self-esteem more than just good job. Way to go. High five. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I was telling Cindy this morning, my kids even, I have told them that I'm proud of them. And my daughter, who's nine, will come back to me and say, well, what are you proud of? And then I have to be very specific in my answers of what I'm proud of because she's craving those words of acknowledgement, you know, that like she is somebody who is worth being proud of, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And then that'll eventually transform into her being proud of herself. Yes, in a positive way. (laughs) So as parents, I think we can really pour into them both by example and just by um, allowing for that communication to be built and that trust to be built and then pouring words into them that are uplifting because they're not always hearing those uplifting words from others, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, you know, we talk about this anytime we talk about mental health, know when to seek a professional for help. There are times that maybe there is outside help that needs to be had. Um, so pay attention to your child. And if if certain traits are starting to pop up, if they're withdrawing from you um, and their friends, if they're not eating very much, if they're really negative about themselves, um, if they're not interested in the activities that they've always loved, just pay attention to things like that. And there's lots of lists of, you know, traits you can look for online that kind of give you an idea of when to call a professional. Mm -hmm. And I also think that adding to that, um, needing help is not a reflection on your parenting. No, it is not 
saying that you failed as a parent or, you know, going back to Freud, it's always the mother's fault or something like (laughs) that. That's not what therapy is. And I think that it's really helpful to pay attention and recognize, hey, I could use some extra support here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, when you're talking about mental health and, and being willing to say, I need a break, you know, things like that, it kind of got me thinking about how the role of child in a family has really changed in our culture. And so you think back to like maybe the early 1900s when it was like children were to be seen and not heard to all of a sudden fast forward to 2023. And it feels like a lot of our families are child centered. The entire schedule runs around child's activities, keeping them entertained, keeping them happy, all of these things. I think we might have swung the pendulum to the other extreme. And of course, I have to always give the caveat, I'm not a parent. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not here to judge. But I'm, I've heard that feedback. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts around finding balance and so that your household is not a child-led, child-centered household, but still providing a safe space for them to grow. Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between including children in a conversation and letting children decide the outcome of the conversation. So I think there in some families, um, the children are getting to make the decisions for the households. They're getting to decide um, which activities they will be doing which school they will be going to, which friends they will have over for play date. And I think it's great to involve kids in those conversations, but ultimately at the end of the conversation, mommy and daddy or whatever parent or guardian is at home makes the decision. And it's, it's very clear that the parent is in charge <laughs> because the kids need to know that too. They need to know and they feel comfortable with boundaries. They need boundaries and they need to know this person is the person I go to who can handle my stuff. You know, they can put get it all under control and organize it. And I don't have to put that stress mm-hmm. on myself because it is stressful. It is. That's what I was <laughs> just thinking. Like we experience decision fatigue mm-hmm. as adults and having to make choices all day, every day. And that's why at the end of the day, there's always the argument of what's for dinner. I don't know. Like, well, let's order takeout. What do you want? Ugh, I just don't care. And it's not that you don't care. It's not that you don't know. It's that you've made so many decisions today. You are exhausted and you are a, let's pretend a well-adjusted adult who has their life together, knows what they're doing, all of these things. Now we're going to put that pressure on a Mm -hmm. 10-year-old and say, okay, you're making all of your own choices Mm -hmm. and you're on your own. And um, yeah, I'm here, you know, if you need it, but you know, you're the one, who do you want to play with? Where do you want to go? What school do you want to enroll in? You know, all of these things. That's too much Mm -hmm. for a child to process. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good too, if you If you have a partner, if you're in a relationship to say, let me talk to them too, before we make this decision to make it clear that y'all are on the same page, you and your partner, and that y'all will be making this decision together for the family Mm. with maybe the child's um, input, but not let them be the decision maker. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an important lesson for all of us to learn of like, just because you give your opinion doesn't mean you're going to get your way. That's right. (laughs) It's a perfect life lesson. Also, um, being entertained, like we feel like we have to entertain our kids all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't have to entertain our kids all the time. They need to be bored. That's how we cultivate creativity and imagination to be able to then eventually grow up and be adults that have creativity and imagination and being able to build and produce new things and new ideas to continue our society going forward and advancing. That starts when we're young. We need that imaginative play. We need to sit there and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. What's around me? What can I pick up? What box can I 
have at home and turn into something. I was telling Stephanie about my daughter when she was really young. My husband, we had this big box. We had just gotten something, appliance at our house. And they were home, just the two of them. And I had taken my son somewhere. And when I got home, there was this house made out of a box with all of the stuff attached. And they sat there. And my daughter was like, I want to have a house. And they're like, okay, what do we need to do? She's like, well, I need a door. So my husband cut a door. And then she was like, went in there and he's like, it's too dark in here. Well, how can we make it better? And he's like, well, give me a window. So he cut a window and he's like, it's still too dark. And so they sat there, went through there. They built a fan onto the house. They, I mean, this thing was like decked out when I got home. And now that she's 14, she still takes the boxes that we get from Amazon and everywhere else and turns them into creations, except now they're, they're places for the cat to hide and sleep in and things like that. Or they're decorated with um, paint and uh, stickers and whatever else she does with them. But that started when she was two and her dad just sat there and was like, okay, you're bored. What do you want to do? And, you know, and we sat there and just asked questions and helped them problem solve. And how can we do this? Well, and I think that's key to it because... I think it would be so easy, just absentmindedly, you're doing the dishes and your daughter has this box and says, oh, I've made this room. It's too dark in there. And you say, cut out a window, you know, and Mm -hmm. it just, you don't even stop to think about, no, this is an opportunity to grow creativity and to challenge and to ask questions and all of these things. And I think that we miss out on so many of those little opportunities to engage because we're so busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a to-do list that we're trying to get done and, and not, you're going to miss opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like that's just a part of life. You can't be there every single second an opportunity for engagement. Um, But I think that just paying attention to those moments where you can participate and not provide an answer, but provide a question so that they can start to learn those critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. So, so we've talked a little bit about play, about engaging with your kids. I, I want to shift over to spirituality for a little bit um, because I know that a big part of TEC is incorporating spirituality and spiritual education into uh, preschool. How can parents approach conversations about faith or spirituality with their child that provides support? Um, because I think that a lot of parents bring their kids to church and say, okay, I'm going to drop them off here. And either the Sunday school teacher or the preschool teacher or whatever is going to nurture their spirituality check, you Mm -hmm. know, but a lot of our mantra here, both in children's ministry and in TEC preschool is these are skills to take home with you. Mm -hmm. How do y'all encourage parents to bring that spirituality home? Um, so I think this is very similar to what we've been talking about with learning through play. Um, bring spirituality into their world. You know, they're, we are teaching them by um, playing in different centers. We can teach them spirituality the same way, bringing it into their normal conversation. It doesn't need to be forced. It can be a part of what you're doing. If um, a child has a scrape that's healing, you can comment on, wow, isn't that so cool that God created our bodies to heal in that way? Bring God in. When you're brushing their hair, you can talk about how, how many hairs do you think you have on your head? Do you think you could count them? God knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head. You can bring it into just your everyday experiences um, instead of making it be a forced conversation. Um, And then you can have those moments of we do pray before meals. We pray before bed. You know, you can have those moments, too, that are kind of routine in your family, but absolutely bringing God and spirituality into just your normal conversations. Just like we put out books for our kids to read and to look at, you can also incorporate uh, books in your own home library that cover spirituality and God and how we love God and God loves us and 
um, how we treat others and how he created everything. I mean, we can have those. We have those in our classrooms at TEC. They're part of our um, curriculum. They're part of um, the availability of the kids to have at any point in time to pick up a picture book that they can see uh, the stories we read in the classroom. So parents can do that as well at home, just pulling those in. Even when you go outside on a walk and talking about everything that God has created. Mm-hmm. That's just one of those natural in the moment things that you can just incorporate to your everyday life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important too, um, like we talked about before, to allow kids to ask questions and allow them to make mistakes because that is how we learn. And so they need to ask questions about their faith and they are going to make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, I think it's important for us to remind them we all make mistakes. That's why Jesus came, because everybody was making mistakes. And we needed someone who could love us despite our mistakes, you know, um, and make it a conversation about faith. Another thing I really want to emphasize is children are at church for about one to three hours a week, depending on whether they come in the middle of the week or just for one service or two services, they are at home for the rest of the week. So we only have three hours, but I will say from working in children's ministry that people in children's ministry are working all week to prepare for that lesson in hopes that you as parents can then take that lesson home and use it all week. We send home crafts hang them on the refrigerator, remind the kids what their Bible story was. We send home memory verses, put it on their bathroom mirror, let them see the verse that we are working on in Sunday school. We have um, an app called the Parent Q app, C-U-E. And that app has all of our Bible story videos that we have on Sunday morning available for you to watch with your kids through the app on your phone at home. So ask the kids, what did you learn in Sunday school? If they don't remember, that's totally fine. You can either let it go or you can pull out the app and say, well, let's watch the video because I'm curious about what you learned. I want to see. And my kids are always very excited to watch the videos at home. They think it's like their own private viewing of <laughs> of the Sunday school lessons. And sometimes it's good for them to have a refresher of what they learned because when there's 40 other kids in the room, things get missed, you know. But the church has the church does a lot to help guide parents. Um, but I will say from my own experience that sometimes We take those crafts and those memory verses and all the other stuff home, and it goes in the trash. (gasps) I would never do that if I were a parent. (laughs) Then you would have a very big room. Enough judgment, though. And so so I'm not saying this because I do this every single week. I'm just saying that there are resources and ways that you could take home the lessons and continue to implement them throughout the week. So with your own kids, there comes a time in all of our lives in different ways, depending on your developmental stage, even for four-year-olds and five-year-olds, where we start questioning faith and we ask big questions that there aren't always answers to. I know in Sunday school a few weeks ago, uh, somebody, one of the kids asked, uh, if God created everything, who created God? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, okay, that's <laughs> let's go to seminary for a moment <laughs> and then we can kind of sift through this question and the meaning behind it and all of these things. With your own kids, when they ask those really big questions or start questioning their faith, how do you respond? One, be honest. Two, it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's explore that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think that was one of the biggest um, things I learned in my first year of teaching because I felt like as the teacher, I needed to have all of the answers. And 
It's really hard to give an answer when you're kind of faking it because you don't really know what the answer is. And so I learned very quickly that it was okay to say, I don't know. Let's look that up. Let's Google that together. Let's look it up. (laughs) And it's the same for faith. We don't have all the answers. Like, I don't know who created God. God has always been, but that's hard to express to a child. I don't know what heaven is like. I know what the Bible says, but I've never been there. You know, there's a lot of questions that we have no idea. And so I think it's okay to say, I don't know. Here's what I think. What do you think? You know, ask them. Involve Mm -hmm. them in that conversation of their opinions matter and we want them to know that their opinions matter and their questions matter. Mm-hmm. And immediately after every question, Hey Siri. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize to everyone who's listening, who I just set off their Apple watch. <laughs> One of the big questions that we get and not just in person, but on our website. So I'm always looking through the search terms that are coming to our website. So that's people who they typed a question into Google and somehow they landed on tmumc.org. And a lot of the questions are things like, what does the Bible say about discipline? How can I discipline my child? You know, all of these things. And so we're trying to figure out the best way to provide our child guidance And people are trying to find the answer in the Bible. Personally, I don't know if we want to turn to the Bible for parenting discipline tips, but I think there are things that we can learn about uh, being a better person that we can apply to our parenting. But how do y'all think that parents can approach discipline in a positive and nurturing way that aligns with their beliefs and values? So I think, um, first of all, we've talked about this a lot, so I'm sorry that we keep repeating ourselves, but it's always important to look at the child and their behavior and determine, is this a typical developmental behavior? Or is this something that requires discipline? Because if it's a typical developmental behavior, it maybe requires guidance to the correct action rather than discipline, which is more like punishment. Yeah. How do you define discipline? Because some people would call it punishment, but other people say, no, a discipline is like a practice, a guidance, how to learn, learning the correct way to do things, not always punishment. Mm -hmm. So like, how are we defining discipline in this conversation? Well, I guess when our parents ask us how we discipline in school, when they come in for a tutor uh, tour of our school, we're usually telling them we are going to redirect. We're going to help them learn how to react to their behavior. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess we're not, it's not talking about a punishment. It's more of talking about how we react to what's going on in the situation, how we assess the situation mm-hmm. and um, what we do. So I guess it could be either definition because a lot of times when parents ask us how we discipline, I think they're kind of it seems like they're kind of asking from a fear place of like, are you going to sit my kid in the corner? Yeah. Are you going to I think that that might be a generational trauma that we are carrying of Mm -hmm. like, because it wasn't until just recently, my first thought when I hear discipline is punishment. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to relearn that. But it was like, if you were being disciplined as a child, it was you were being put in a corner, Mm -hmm. you were being removed from your friends, you had to be in a time out, you had to stay after school, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was really damaging to a lot of our psyches. And so we're like, we're super protective of our children mm-hmm. to make sure they don't experience the same thing we did. But right. maybe what we experienced wasn't what discipline was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think at TEC, we do discipline in more of a guidance type way. We, like Cindy said, we redirect. We sometimes... We never do timeouts. We call it just sometimes you just need to take a break, take a breath, go for a walk down the hall, go uh, get a drink of water, you know, just kind of 
get away from the people and the loudness and just take a moment to be by yourself at peace and then you're okay to go back into the classroom. Which is, I guess, the same idea of what they were trying to do when we were kids, but it had a totally different feel to it. It didn't it was separation. Yes. Kids. It was embarrassment. And so we absolutely never want to embarrass kids or make it a big deal. This is a normal thing. Sometimes, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody just needs to take a breath and take a break and go for a walk and it's never kids are never looked down upon for we all need that. a break yeah. every now and then. we do yeah. and a lot of times we think of it as negative and we're trying to turn it around and make a positive we need this everybody needs a break sometimes we all mm-hmm. get overwhelmed children and adults we need to take a break mm-hmm. we need to take a breath we need to go on a walk and we need to show that kids, we can do that too with the kids. How do you think that that's like biblically rooted in some way? I know that like parenting well, styles during Bible times, they really didn't do gentle parenting, no. you know? <laughs> but I think we see examples of of several people, Jesus included, who in times of stress and chaos, they went away by themselves and took a moment to just take a breath and be alone. And so we are trying to model that behavior from these biblical characters. It doesn't quite say that that's a parenting style, but allowing children to do the same. Um, One thing I wanted to say about disciplining in the home is that I think it's really important that kids know what they are being disciplined for. Because I think sometimes um, kids might do something and us as adults have like a very strong reaction to it. And I myself have had moments that I've gotten on to my son who's six and I realize after like five minutes of us talking through it that he has no clue why I'm upset. (laughs) And so I think it's important for us to verbalize to our kids what action happened here that has caused um, us to need to have this conversation and has caused the parent to kind of be a little upset or on edge um, because (laughs) sometimes they just feel like they're being yelled at for no reason. All they did was open up the pretzels and have a snack because they were hungry. Why are you yelling at me? You know? Mm -hmm. And then the mom's like, I just spent an hour making dinner. Why are you having a snack? But there's a disconnect. And so I think it's really important to make sure that kids always understand why they are being disciplined or why a parent might be a little upset with their actions. Yeah, look at ourselves as adults. What makes us get upset? What it makes us, you know, we're hungry, we're tired, we're overstimulated with our environment. There's too many people around, there's too much noise around. Well, that's the same thing that over uh, happens to children as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the the number one thing, the driver for both adults and kids throwing temper tantrums is feeling a lack of control Mm -hmm. over whatever situation that you're in, because we all crave to be in control of our environment. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. Like it's good to want to feel at peace and in harmony with the environment that you're in, but you can't control everything. And as an adult, when I feel like things are being thrown at me that are completely out of my control, whether it's someone else's fault or not, I start acting out in my relationships, in my friendships. I get an attitude. I'm not fun to be around. All of these things. Well, stop smirking over there, (laughs) Stephanie. (laughs) But I just like keep imagining what a child must feel like of literally nothing is within their control. Mm -mm. Like it's all, they almost don't even have bodily autonomy. Like they don't get to decide when they eat, when Mm -hmm. they sleep, when they do anything. And so it has to just be constantly frustrating of, listen, lady, I'm just trying to live my life and eat a pretzel, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And a lot of times they don't even know how to express it. They're just, they don't have the words to say, I'm hungry. 
Right. Look at a two, uh, someone who's like almost two years old. They can't say, I'm hungry. They just, they start crying. Mm-hmm. They get upset. They throw a toy. And we have to realize that we need and, to look at that situation and go, okay, what's going on? Yeah, because sometimes we just think they're being defiant. And they're really, a lot of times not. I mean, sometimes they are. But a lot of times they just, we're on different pages, you know. They're mm-hmm. processing things differently. Um, one last thing with discipline that I think is important communicate with the kids what they did wrong, but also I think it's important to always end whatever conversation you've had about discipline by letting them know that your love for them is never ending. And no matter what mistakes they make, that does not change. God loves them and you love them. And I think that that's a good um, end point for every form of discipline because they need to know we're not going to hold on to this. We're not going to be upset about this. We love you, you know, and that's important for them to hear. Out of curiosity. So of course, like there is the parent, whoever's the guardian of the child, but what about, um, how you handle parenting within extended relationships. So we have grandparents in the mix. We have aunts and uncles in the mix. Maybe we have cousins who all have an influence over this child in some way or another. Um, What are the kinds of parenting do's and don'ts for extended family who want to be involved in this child's life and and be a positive influence, but they're not the parent. I would say have a conversation with them. Be honest and open about what your goals are with your children and what you want to be around your children. And usually a lot of things can be taken care of or Um, addressed just by having an open, honest conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes as the actual parent, you do have to be bold if you don't like the way that something was handled. And that can be hard sometimes, especially when you're talking about your family that you love. But um, if you are looking out for the best interest of your child, and this is how you believe that they should be um, parented or disciplined or taught, whichever, um, category it falls into, then as a parent, be bold and make that known. This is how I want my child to understand this concept. And, um, outside of the parents, what do you think those grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, all of that, what do you think that they can do to, um, be a positive influence on this child? I think just be respectful of the parents and what they're um, trying to accomplish and and be a teammate, not the coach. <laughs> Ooh, say more about that. Well, the parent should be the lead. You know, they are the coach. They are with the children the majority of the time. Everybody else is on your team and we all want to win. You know, we want the best for this child. We are a team, but there needs to be one or two people in charge. I agree with her on that whole team idea because you go to see a team and if there's not a distinguished lead or leaders, you kind of get a little bit of chaos going on. So having them be that team player and supporting you and seeing, having the kids see them support you in your decisions. Mm -hmm. If you go to your, I've actually asked my parents one time, can we reduce the sugar drinks at the house when they come over if they're going to be coming over a lot we're watching you know watching their oral health they're watching their amount of sugar they're taking a day and just having conversation and telling them all that they were being our team players when they say yeah we can do that can we do xyz can we get a reduced sugar of this or this or that you know whatever those items were they were helping us be that team player by saying yeah we're supporting your parents decision and we want less sugar in their y'all's everyday life or something like that or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. How is it that parents can find that healthy balance? Because screen time's not going away. Like screen time is here to stay. And I just don't know if it's realistic. Some parents try to do zero screen time and God bless them because I don't (laughs) know how, but how do you find that healthy balance between screen time and 
physical activity or engaging in something that's more um, motor skills oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know for myself, I was always very careful with the amount of screens and the screen time that my kids had until COVID. And then I was like, I don't know what else to do. We are stuck in the house and all the rules went out the window. Watch TV, be on your Kindle. I'm going to just live in my own little world doing my puzzle because we're all just trying to cope. And then I think what happened and I think why there's a a trend right now with digital detox is that everything kind of slipped and now everyone's trying to pull it back okay, hold on. We can't spend six hours a day watching TV. We can't be on our Kindles and our iPads all the time. Um, And so I think a lot of parents are realizing there have to be limits on that. Um, And so that's the key. A lot of um, kids' tablets, you can put a timer on it. You can say they are allowed to have this screen time for one hour or two hours whatever you decide as a parent and they can um, spread that out. They can do like a 15 minute bluey episode and then go back an hour later and watch another one, or they can do it all at once. But as soon as that hour is done, their tablet is going to shut down. It is no longer usable for the remainder of the day. And that is a limit that has been put on the tablet. And so you can do that and you can explain to them why. And then You can make outdoor play or play in the house fun for them. It doesn't, it's not a punishment having the screen turned off and going outside. Well, maybe it is when it's 109 degrees. Yeah, a little (laughs) bit, yeah. (laughs) But it shouldn't feel like a punishment. It should feel like just a different activity that we're doing now that is engaging and that you're going to be a part of. Kind of setting that routine with the kids so they have an expectation of what's going on. We talked about earlier when we just come in and we say, okay, time to turn it off. And they're processing that information and they're like, I'm in the middle of something and they can't express it. If they know, okay, I could watch that one episode. They have that expectation that they know they're not losing that control of this is what I wanted to do. They are actually knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. They have a heads up. You know, it's not just going to boom, you can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. So set that routine, set that expectation with them so they know um, what they can do when they can do it so that they have a little bit of, I guess, um, what word am I looking for? They have that autonomy Mm -hmm. to make a decision for themselves. And no, too, I'm just thinking of my personal experience the other night. So we always try to give limit or, you know, time. What's the word? Restrictions? No, like we give them a time. Like you have 10 minutes left. Oh, a countdown. Countdown. Thank you. You have five (laughs) minutes left. You have two minutes left. Even after all of that, um, sometimes you say, okay, time to turn it off. They go ballistic because, again, their brains aren't really processing what what is 10 minutes? What is five minutes? What is two minutes? All they're hearing is you have some more time left. You have some more time left. You have some more time left. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, done. And so this happened to us the other night with uh, video games. We kept giving the countdown and then it was time to turn it off. And it was like the world was ending because all the countdowns that we gave when they're a certain age, they don't quite understand it. So it's good to give them all of those countdowns for sure, because that's how they're learning. But just understand, too, that there might be a meltdown regardless. And it's because their brain is still trying to process what is a minute? Yeah. <laughs> what Even, are they trying well, to tell and me? And I'm guessing they don't need to be disciplined for a meltdown. No. Right? Like they need time to calm down. Yeah. You know? Even with my teenagers, I've stopped saying, okay, 30 minutes, because they get lost in their 30 minutes sometimes. So I'm like, at the end of this episode, Mm. when you finish this point on your game, Mm -hmm. it's time to shut it down. That's Mm. a better, yeah, Yeah. because that gives them more control. And that gives them a concrete end versus a time where, oops, it's been 45 minutes. It's been an hour and I completely forgot. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take that and do that next time. Thank you, Cindy. So we're not <laughs> saying stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> got it. Thank you. Oh, I got one more thing to say about the technology though. Yeah. Is also, and this one came from my pediatrician, is making sure you take that, that screen time. You give your kids like 30 minutes to an hour before bedtime so that their brains can come down off of that. And calm down so they can go to bed, actually. Mm-hmm. Huh? So turn it off 30 turn it minutes off. to an hour before mm-hmm. bed. I think we're supposed to do that for ourselves as well. <laughs> I'm yes. horrible about it. I just, like, sit in bed, like, even just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I literally put the phone down and turn over and go to sleep. I have to have the TV on to go to sleep. I think they're talking more about, like, the blue light stuff. Oh, that so TV like, is fine? I think the TV... If you're not looking at it, like if you listen to the TV to fall asleep, because I put, I I wear a little sleep mask because I have big windows in my room and I think just listening is okay. But I've heard that it's like the blue light and it has an effect on your brain. Mm. And I remember, Stephanie, you might not remember this pre-COVID when you were very strict on screen time. I remember you having a conversation with us that you noticed an attitude change when Sarah had been on the screen. Like mm-hmm. if she had been watch on her little tablet or something for 30 minutes, you noticed she had an attitude that wasn't her normal state that she had to come down from after that. Do you still notice things like that of like once there's been screen time, it, there's kind of a rewiring that happens? I do. Um, it, can, it takes my kids... A, a little bit to kind of wind down from the screen time. And I don't, I don't know why that is. If it's just, they were sitting still staring for so long and all of a sudden I'm asking them to like walk around and be human, you know, <laughs> they're like, wait a second. Yeah, I think- you want me to do stuff? I know. Right. <laughs> I know. I had that same thing with my 16 year old is like, I noticed that he, when we, before, when he was having trouble sleeping during COVID, And the pediatrician recommended that we make sure it's all cut off, you know, 30 minutes to an hour before. There was a difference. He would come out and he would talk to us and have conversations with us. We saw a different person after we had that little time of, okay, it's all gone. It's the screens are away. The TV's away. The phone is away. He would come down and all of a sudden he'd get very chatty. And I don't think it wasn't that he didn't want to go to bed. It's like all of a sudden his brain switched gears and all of a sudden we're like, okay, let's have a conversation now. Mm -hmm. This is on my mind and this is on my mind and I want to tell you about it. I've heard that that's what teenagers do. (laughs) And I don't know because I don't have them, but I've heard that they wait until you're super tired and then that's when they want to tell you everything. Like the entire day. Yes. Yes. What is some of the best parenting advice that you've received or parenting advice, maybe not the best advice, but advice that you have used? Taking time for myself. Mm. That's a good one. What does that look like for you? Um, going to the grocery store by myself or that's, a, that's taking time for yourself. That is actually taking time. In a I busy hate day, going to the grocery store. Any b- busy day, I'll take an extra long time on really? the grocery store and we'll maybe stop at the Starbucks while you're See, there. See, I was hoping taking time for yourself meant going to get your nails done or getting a massage or th- and you're like, oh, just going to the grocery store by myself. When you're a mom, <laughs> if you can have any time away, it is time for yourself. Yes, I do do those other things as well every once in a while I will my husband will be like what can I do I'm like can I just get him a go get a massage can you take care of all the running around of the kids they need to go here and they need to go to this practice and he's like sure go get a massage done and that'll be time for myself but when you have those hectic days like right now where it's okay go to work come home run this one to dance run this mm-hmm. one to band feed him real quick and run him back up to band going to the grocery store is a break and maybe it, like Locking the bathroom door. Yeah. Locking the bathroom <laughs> door. No animals can push Locking open the, the door. bathroom door doesn't make a difference. What? They stick their fingers under the door. Oh. You know, and actually now my dog does. Yes. The cat's right outside. And every time I have conversations like these, it's just like affirming my decision not to have kids. <laughs> Other than all that, it's really great. Good luck to everybody out there. Uh, Steph, have you gotten any advice that you really like? I always struggle with this. And I've been looking at all the um, 
parenting advice that y'all have been posting on Facebook during this series. And I like reading through it, but I don't know, honestly, and this is probably, I probably shouldn't say this, but honestly, some of the parenting advice I've gotten just sometimes it just annoys me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, why are you telling me what to do or how to do it? Because, you know, when you have a baby shower and everyone like tells you their advice to me, mm-hmm. it was like, don't tell me how to parent. Let me well, figure it out. That's advice. So I've actually been to a baby shower where someone's parenting advice was don't take parenting advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I like reading through it and watching and, you know, seeing everybody's comments. And sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah. no. But uh, I don't know. I never know what to say when people ask me for parenting advice, because your situation may be completely different from mine. Like the way I parent is obviously going to be very different than the way that other people parent because we're different people. We have different partners. We live in different homes. We have different lifestyles, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So uh, what that's I'm probably an is, unpopular yeah, answer. Uh, don't ask Stephanie for parenting <laughs> advice unless you want her to really spiral, which is fun to watch. So if that's something you're interested in seeing, just go ahead and ask her on Sunday morning. Um, yeah. Just to close us out, what are any just words of encouragement that you have for the parents who are listening, who are going through these developmental phases and just feel constantly like strung out? They're trying to do their best, but they feel like they're always falling short. Like, what do you say to these parents? You are not alone. And find people that you can connect with and talk through some of the tough moments with. Um, Parenting is hard. And at TEC uh, preschool, we have play dates after school for each class. They have an assigned day that their class gets the playground after school. So the parents are all there too. That is very purposeful. That is because we want our parents to get to know each other. They are going through the same life stage with their children in the threes class or in the twos class or in the fours class. And they need to have a community to be able to connect with because there are moments that as a parent, you just want to cry because you don't know, you don't feel like you know what you're doing. You don't feel like you have any support or help. You just feel lost and you need a community. So number one, you are not alone. And number two, find your people it changes that would be what i would say your stages you're going through it's hard and then it'll change into another stage it'll be a different heart it won't be the same heart it'll be a different heart and sometimes actually that's a relief because i can deal with a different heart for a little while as long as it's not the one i've been dealing with for the last Mm -hmm month or two this too shall pass yes yeah. so kind of like that that's this too that's shall what pass. someone told me once it doesn't necessarily get better but it gets different in the way that behaviors are happening or in the way that they're relating you know I mean parenting is amazing I am not saying that because it's not good but on those hard days it doesn't necessarily get better, but it changes. It's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think so as a non-parent, but um, when I was going through my divorce, I found a lot of comfort in the idea that I'm not going through anything that thousands of other women haven't also been through. Mm-hmm. Millions of other women haven't also been through. And I would imagine it's the same for parenting. Like there is no parenting cha- parenting challenge you're experiencing that someone else hasn't already experienced. And so there's no shame in it. Mm-hmm. You're not 
I mean, this sounds mean, but I don't mean it in a mean way. You're not special. Like you're not uh, outside of the norm. Like your kid is going through something. You as a parent are going through something that is common, that is part of the experience of being a parent. And it's okay to talk about it and to ask questions and to complain about it if that's what you need to do, not to your child, but to another parent, <laughs> you know? Um Whatever you need to do. I love that. Find that community. Find your people. And I think that uh, TEC and Children's Ministry is willing to be your people. I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank y'all so much for taking the time and doing all of your prep work, all of these pages. And um, I hope to have y'all back for another episode soon. Anytime we need to talk about parenting, because I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, like I said, I don't know if we know what we're talking about either. We have some education in early childhood development, but uh, we make mistakes too as parents. We are not perfect. Oh, yeah, definitely. Going through it as an educator is different than going through it as a parent. Yes. Are there some times where you are like the best version of yourself while you're teaching and doing the whole preschool thing? And then you come home at the end of the day and you're like, oh, now I have to actually practice yes. what I preach. Yes. As, I, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was reminding myself how to act when I'm parenting. Remember, he's only six. Don't yell at him for this or this or this. He doesn't understand. You know, you have to kind of because it you do kind of keep it separate the education versus the parenting it's hard parenting is hard yeah even when you know how a child is developing and what the stages are it's still difficult yeah stephanie parenting is hard parenting is hard find your people yes (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks guys i'll see you next time the Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.